Okay, so if you've got your Bibles with you, if you could turn to John 1. Um, if you haven't got your Bibles with you, don't worry, because to be honest, I'm going to skip through a little bits, and it might just be easier just to look at the screen. So I'm going to read this amazing passage to us. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. In verse 14, it goes on to say, So the Word became flesh and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love. Oh, I suppose I've clicked on. He was full of un- Oh, no. Is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father and his one and only Son. I'm just going to pray. Father, I pray that you would come and speak to us today. Father, this is about you and your glory and your amazing Son. It's so hard to do justice to these verses because. They describe you in such an amazing way. But I pray for those of us, and I include myself in this, that have somewhere along the way managed to lose a bit of our sense of awe. I pray that you would restore us today. And for those of us that actually have become so busy with life that our gaze has maybe shifted a little bit more onto the cake, a bit less onto you, then I pray that you would return our gaze onto you today, the place where it was always meant to be. Jesus, help us today restore and move our gaze in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Many years ago, Dan, who's my husband, and I started going out with each other. Now, we went out with each other for six months. And to be honest, it was pretty awful. It was not. I won't go into loads of detail because I haven't got enough time, but it was not that good. And so we split up. Dan said, we split up. Uh, yeah, we split up. But because even though we, and I notice we say we, not Dan, we are very stubborn and not always the best, God is gracious and kind. And after seven years, I wouldn't particularly recommend it, seven years, he brought us back together. Hooray! I know, it's so wonderful. Anyway, because the first time round, it had been a little bit intense. Everyone had been very excited about us going out with each other. And, you know, it was just a bit too much. We decided that for at least a couple of weeks, maybe pushing a month, we'd keep it a little bit secret. Uh, Do you know what I discovered about myself? I discovered that I love sneaking around. It was so much fun. So we did a lot of sneaking around. And there was one weekend where we actually really wanted to spend some time with each other. And on the Saturday, you know, Dan was busy with work. I was probably busy with a kids' club. We didn't have time. Okay, so we didn't. So we were really looking forward to the Sunday. So it got to the Sunday. We came to church. Now, of course, at church, we sat at opposite sides of the hall because we are so sneaky. And we had the church service, and it was really wonderful. And then after church, we went for a picnic in Burgess Park with loads of friends. And we sat at opposite sides of the picnic blanket because we were just so sneaky. And then we had our picnic. And at the end of the picnic, much to my horror, someone said, why don't we all go back to Dan's flat? All? That was not part of the plan. Okay, I wanted just to spend time with him. I didn't want all these people that I've been with all morning already. We just wanted to be with each other. So a conversation started up which I can't remember all the exact details, but it went something like this. Dan, 
but I don't have a sofa at the moment. Me. Oh dear, if everyone comes around, what would we sit on? Dan. Oh, I don't think I've got any milk or tea and coffee. Me. It was a bit cold last time I came around. Is your heating broken? <laughs> Do you get the idea? We just didn't want everyone else to come. We just wanted to get to know each other a bit better, spend some time alone. You know, we didn't want all those other people there. I'm sorry if you're here and you were on that video. <laughs> I do apologise. Um, but do you know what? My unashamed aim of preaching today is through this amazing, and it is an amazing passage, is to inspire us to sneak away with Jesus, to take time out, to look at him, maybe listen to him a bit more, read the Bible, spend time with him. And that might mean missing a few episodes of EastEnders, controversial. It might, even more controversially, mean serving at church a bit less <gasps> so that we can spend time with him. Because you know what happens? You get to that, um, that sermon on Christmas Day. You know the really famous one where they're trying, the photographer's trying to create like a nativity and you know he's making all the stuff look nice and the shepherds and everything. That's like, and then by the time he gets to putting the baby Jesus in, um, they throw the baby Jesus away because you know, it just doesn't look right. You get to that preach and you think... <gasps> It's too late. I've just spent the last two months, like, Christmas shopping, testing mince pies. You know, my balcony now has a light display on it that rivals the Blackpool Illuminations. It's too late. I've almost forgotten who Jesus is. Or maybe you're thinking, you're listening to me and thinking, actually, Claire, that is not my Christmas. That is not my run-up to Christmas. Because, actually, I don't have loads of family around. You know, I don't have lots of distractions in that way. I don't have money in my pockets to buy Christmas presents for. You know, I don't have to buy loads of gifts. But you know what? I think at Christmas, whether it's practically or emotionally, we all get busy in some way or other. Maybe you're not busy with stuff this morning. But maybe you're busy trying to nurse a heart that's a little bit broken. Maybe you're busy trying to forget other Christmases that were so much easier. Maybe busy trying to not feel fearful because you haven't got any money in your pocket. But do you know what? Either way, whether we're busy with stuff or we're busy trying to fix our hearts, seeking him out, gazing in adoration at our king, restoring Christmas to actually what it was always meant to be, it's the only way to bring meaning to our busyness. It's the only way to bring comfort to our brokenness this Christmas, which is why my talk is called Advent. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 it's spoiling it. Advent, a time of adoration, you have a person worshipping, or preoccupation. John Greenway's house. No, 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 it's not John Greenway. It's not. It's not John Greenway's house. John Greenway's house is much more tasteful than that. Okay. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to briefly, I'm going to briefly introduce John, the author of the book we're looking at. And then I'm going to look at how he introduces his friend Jesus. And then we're going to gaze at him. Okay, so we're going to look at three reasons why he is so much better Excuse me. Why he's so much better than all the other stuff that we get so consumed with um, at Christmas. Because he is king of creation, king of preparation. Now, I know king of preparation isn't really an official title, but it rhymes, so I'm going with it. So we've got king of creation, king of preparation, and king of salvation. Okay. So, 
And then actually after that, I've got a few friends coming to join me on the stage. Because actually, you know, we can get a bit spiritual when we talk about spending time with Jesus, can't we? And we can talk about gazing with him. But actually, I want to talk, I want a few of my friends to talk about the practicalities of that, how they do that. Because I'm not aiming to kind of leave you with a fuzzy feeling. I want you to be able to, you know, go away and think, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take time out away from all the Christmas stuff. Okay, so introducing John. The book of John is written, uh, the book of John is one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life. As the name suggests, it was written by John, um, who was one of Jesus' followers. Now, it's an eyewitness account, so John sometimes appears in the story. And when he appears in the story, he often very modestly refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loves. Very modest. Um, now, Jesus, uh, John's account does differ from some of the other gospel accounts at the beginning of it, in that in Luke and Matthew, they begin in Bethlehem, okay? Um, they tell us what happened, you know, the story that everybody knows. Whereas John's gospel begins way, way before that. It takes us back to the beginning of time, painting a glorious picture of the plan of the Father. It doesn't so much focus at the beginning on what Jesus did, but who Jesus is. Now, for John, it took him, actually, because, you know, he was spending time with Jesus, so it took him more than three years of hanging out with Jesus to figure out the fullness of who he was. But he does not want his readers, it seems, to take more than three verses to find out what took him so long to know. John starts to enthuse about his friends right from the very beginning. It's not surprising, really, is it? If you had been with Jesus in the flesh, wouldn't you enthuse too? If someone was introduced to you as having more creative ability than anyone who has ever existed, someone that could not only design but create something out of nothing, wouldn't you be a little bit intrigued? You would, wouldn't you? If you were told that this person chose to go to the darkest places and was able in those places to bring light, wouldn't you be a little bit impressed? You would. If you were told that this person was a king and yet chose to give up all his kingship, to go to a people, to rescue people that actually wouldn't always understand or appreciate who he was, wouldn't you want to get to know them? Wouldn't you want to seek them out? Wouldn't you want to spend more time with them, hoping desperately that they'd be available to speak to you? You would, wouldn't you? Because this is who John is introducing us to. This is who he is. He is creator, rescuing saver, light in the darkness, full of unfailing love, and faithfulness king. This is who John is introducing us to today. It's not any old introduction to any old person. Jesus as the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Now Jesus is the word that's being talked about here. So why does John call him the word? Basically because words are expression of who we are. You learn about someone, don't you? through their words you learn what they're like I talk quite a lot and I say quite a lot and so people actually get to know me quite quickly you learn about somebody through their words now Jesus is the expression of who God is he shows us what God is like okay he's the expression of God that's why we think he's mentioned here as the word so on to some reasons to sneak away with him he is king of creation in the beginning, the word already existed. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. At the beginning of time, he was there. 
He was there before any of the star flinging, the land and sea making. He was already there. Now I'm going to ask Stuart to come up. He's running from the back because he's already got a job to do. Um, and I'm going to get him to read a passage in Proverbs. Now in this passage, a lot of Proverbs is about wisdom. And in this passage, wisdom is personified. Okay, so the wisdom that created the world is finally revealed to be Jesus, not just in this passage, actually in John, but in other passages too. So because of that, as Stuart reads, I'd like you to imagine it's Jesus speaking. Okay, you can close your eyes if you want. If you think that's going to make you sleepy, please keep your eyes open. But otherwise, just listen to Stuart reading and imagine it's Jesus. I was appointed in ages past at the very first before the earth began I was born before the oceans were created before the springs bubbled forth their waters before the mountains were formed before the hills I was born before he had made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of soil I was there when he established the heavens when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries and when he marked off the earth's foundations. I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. Thanks, Stuart. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing, isn't it? It's awesome. Just need to let it sink in. That was written years before Jesus was born. Jesus was there right at the very beginning, before the beginning, overseeing it all. So amazing. You'll not find anyone or anything else can make these claims you know especially when we look at Christmas no partner has always been and always will be there's no amount of stuff whether it's Christmas stuff or whether it's serving or you know material stuff that we can cram into our lives that will outlast him most presents you get this Christmas I hate to say it but they will at some point break they'll be eaten in Paul Brown's case drunk over a very long period of time, obviously, <laughs> of course. Relationships and presence, they're not consistent, are they? They will eventually disappoint us. They won't satisfy us, especially eternally. And actually, nor were they meant to. The word, Jesus, is the only one that, he can, do, that can do that. He has always was and he always will be. He's our only hope in terms of eternal satisfaction. Are we amazed by the fact that he always was? Are we amazed that we're not waiting for someone or something else to come? That actually we have enough in him, in all his awesomeness, in all his kindness, in all his creation? Do you know, I sometimes think that it's really crazy that Jesus, who flung stars into space, who was there before the beginning sees like my every day and is really interested in my every day you know I write I write a journal and um, in my journal I don't separate stuff out so I write about everything that's happening in my day 
But then I also write about what God's saying. And so I write passages from the Bible. It's all mixed up, okay? It's just in one diary. I'm quite old, so I have a whole stack of these journals. And I just write about, you know, everything. It all goes in the same book. And um, I was reading back on it as I was preparing this. And it just looks, makes a very strange read. Because one minute... I'm writing about Jesus, how he was there at the beginning and how, you know, he is God and all this amazing, awesome stuff. And the next minute, I'm just writing about the chat that I had with my friend Teresa while I was waiting for my kids in ballet class. It's like the vast, the awesome, like mixed in with the sometimes mundane, very normal life that he's given me. And, you know, it, it, I just find it crazy to think that actually in the beginning, the word that already existed, that word sits with me and knows me while I'm chatting to Teresa about our new phones and comparing those deals on the ballet run. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like so big with me who's so small. And he can be part of our everyday lives now because he lived a normal everyday life then. And he knows. He knows what it's like to live here. Aren't you amazed by the fact that he was there at the beginning? That he knows and sees and cares about your every day. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, he was the king, or is the king, of preparation. It works. You know, we have a well-prepared God. I know that some of you are very, very, very organized, so we're going to do a little bit of a survey. I'm not going to write down any notes on it. Okay, so who has already sent their Christmas cards? Oh, there's a couple. Not many. You're not as organized as I thought you were. Okay. Anybody ordered their turkey? You're not that organized, are you? You're going to destroy my point. Okay. Um, what about... Oh, I'm going to have to make it a bit more less organized. How, who's bought a Christmas present? Oh, phew. Okay. Bought some of their Christmas presents. Okay. Um, anyone decorated their balcony? Decorated anything? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Apart from John, he's done the whole house. <laughs> you know, some of us are quite organized. You guys obviously aren't. <laughs> and some of us are comforted, aren't we, by things that are well planned? My question for us today, really, is are we comforted by God's planning and preparation? Are we? Because actually, for those of us that love to be well prepared, it should bring comfort to know that God was much more prepared for the first Christmas than you or I will ever be. Okay? There was no running around on Christmas Eve saying, oh, I forgot to tell the angels what was going to happen. You know, he knew. He'd been preparing it. The first Christmas, Jesus being born in a stable, the word becoming human and dwelling amongst us was the culmination of centuries of God's unfolding plan for humanity. All through the history of Israel, the battles we don't like, the names of lists we can't pronounce, the chapters in the Old Testament that we kind of skip over because we don't really agree with some of them. Is it just me that does that? No, no. Okay. okay, all those things, all the bits that we don't understand, he'd been leading up to this moment. You know, Jesus fulfilled 300 and 22 prophetic predictions that were written in the Old Testament before he had been born. 61 of which were, major, uh, which were major prophecies that related to him as a person. 29 were fulfilled on the day of his death. These prophecies include the place of his birth, the manner of his birth, the torture, his torture, the list goes on. 
It doesn't matter how organised you are this Christmas, how you sent your colour-coded invites out in February to your family, how you ordered the first turkey from Lidl. They probably don't order turkeys from Lidl, maybe. <laughs> but um, God was still more prepared for the first Christmas than you or I ever will be. Maybe you struggle with this this morning. You know, maybe you think, I don't know, actually, about all this, Claire. I don't know about this God. Why should I start thinking about him now? He has never given me a second thought. Do you know, if that's how you feel this morning, don't be fooled. He has only been thinking about you since the beginning of time. He has very much always had you on his mind. In Ephesians, there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. He planned history around sending his son to save you. You have been very, very much on his mind. He is the king of salvation. So the word became human and made his home among us. The message has a really brilliant translation for this. It says, the world became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. The baby became the lost boy at the temple, the carpenter, the man sorting out a wedding party, the man rescuing a picnic. The baby became the man healing, bringing his friend back to life, teaching, at times confusing, breaking all the rules, talking to people that nobody else wanted to talk to. And finally... He became the man on the cross, the word that was there at the beginning, forgiving his accusers and thinking about us. He became our rescuing saviour, taking the punishment that should have been ours, rising again and extinguishing the darkness so that we can know him forever. He came near to stay near so that we wouldn't have to be without him ever again. Can you imagine what would have happened if he hadn't? It's a bit sobering, isn't it? We would have been kept at a distance for him, not just for now, but for all eternity. Do you know, he is a God that came down and he heard our cries. He knew our need for him. Many years ago, I went to visit some friends. Um, they were setting up a cafe in Taipei, and um, I just went there for a month to join them. And they were setting up this cafe in a really, really cool, well, it, it was cool to me. It was a really dark area. It was like there was loads of prostitution, loads of idol worship, not a Starbucks in sight. It was a perfect place to set something up for people that needed some light. So that's what they were doing. Anyway, one night, it was quite quiet because we were open all the way through the night, very quiet, except for some cries of uh, a lady um, in a nearby flat, and she was screaming I mean it was awful and uh, she was obviously being beaten by someone now we weren't sure what to do because we could have gone around knocking on doors and we wouldn't have been able to hear and we wouldn't be able to find her but the guy wouldn't have let us in there was flats everywhere um, so we just prayed and we prayed for her protection and we also asked God to bring her to us so that we could introduce her to him and so we prayed and prayed in the night. And then, surprise, surprise, the next morning, a lady walked in. She told us her story. It was the lady that we had um, heard crying the night before. He heard her cries like he hears our cries. Of course he heard her cries because he is God. 
the one that was there at the beginning, he's all-powerful. He sees and knows everything. He heard her cries because he is God. He hears all things. But let's not forget that he also heard her cries because he became human. The word became flesh. And he knows more than anyone what it's like to cry out in pain at the hands of somebody that is beating them unjustly. Yeah? He knows. He heard her cries and he knows our cries too. Aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful that he is both? That he is awesome God there at the beginning, but he is also rescuing words became flesh saviour for us. Are we humbled by the fact that he humbled himself and lived amongst us? Now, like I said before, I want to be practical about this. So if Sue and Ruth are able to come up. Ruth looked confused then. You're all right, Ruth. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to get them up literally for a couple of minutes, and they're just going to talk about how they seek him out, okay? How they spend a bit of time with him, because I don't want to just be mystical, don't do all your Christmas stuff, just spend some time with him. They're going to talk about how they're going to do it. I'm going to say a few more things, and then we're going to just worship him. So we'll start with Ruth. So um, I loved what Claire said about when she was with Dan... But she wanted to be with, but she was with other people. And there's something about, I have the Holy Spirit with me all the time, and so do you. But there's something about just being with him on my own that's really special and important and sneaking away with him. So a couple of years ago, I would say, I, um, I love people. I love making time to hang out one-to-one with people so I'd have coffee with people. And I just had the thought process in my head, why don't you have a coffee with me? Sounds a bit funny, but... So I thought, oh, yeah, I don't actually book time in intentionally to hang out with the Holy Spirit in that way. So I started to do it, and I'd also heard this thing about, it's called Christian soaking, where you um, just lie down with no agenda, or you spend some time, however you like to do it, and hang out with the Holy Spirit. Um, So practically what I do is every Thursday morning, pretty much, if I can't do it Thursday morning, I rebook it in because it's got so, like, I I'm desperate for it now. At the beginning, it was something I just started to do, but it impacted me so much. I got so desperate to do it. I book in an, at least an hour, and I go on to YouTube, and I type in Christian soaking music, and then I personally, I lie flat on my face in um, our in our lounge, and I just hang out with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I end up sobbing, and all this emotion comes out, and it's a release. Sometimes I'm meditating on and gazing on who God is. Um, a funny moment about two weeks ago, I was just starting to do this, just about to start sobbing, and at, at the back, at my back door stood a builder. <laughs> and I was like, uh, but I don't care. I actually don't care. I don't care. I, I hang out for this time. It's so important for me, and it's so healthy. And, um, and actually, as a result, I don't go with an agenda, but often out the back of it, I, people come to mind. I, I feel like encouraging people more. I have, mo- I have inspirational moments. But sometimes it's just being with Holy Spirit intimately. I'm hoping that a voice comes out. <laughs> um, um, I know that um, if I'm getting 
I'm going to put my glasses on so I can read it. If I'm getting a bit grumpy or a bit impatient with people or a bit frustrated or low on compassion, which I do, as my husband, um, or I get quite self-reliant, it's because I'm not spending enough time with Jesus. So for me, um, for me, I mean, I love soaking, but I often fall asleep, so it's not really very good for me. <laughs> so for me, I have to get out of my flat um, where there's too many distractions, and I'll go for a walk around Buskin Park because you can get really good views of London, and I'll just pray and I'll sit on the bench. And um, if I have a bit longer, um, I go to St Catherine's in Limehouse because they do quiet days. I'll just take a Bible and a notebook, and God always speaks to me. Um, writing things down like Claire helps me to just really focus on Jesus um, and what he wants to say to me and he always speaks <coughs> and and then two or three times a year I like to get out of London into the countryside as much in the middle of nowhere as, as I can possibly get <laughs> uh, not because I don't like people because I am a people person um, but just, just to spend time with Jesus because um, um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that Paul, has, you know, throughout the years, from when my kids were smaller, has always looked after the kids for me, and I've occasionally done the same for him, <laughs> not as much as he's done it for me. <laughs> um, but I've got to say, these times have been lifelines for me, um, when I've just really got to know Jesus better, um, particularly when I've been really weary, I've known what to do, um, when I felt like giving up the cap work, um, and God's always strengthened me, encouraged me, softened my heart, remind me he's in charge. It's not all about me. It's not all about me solving everyone's problems, believe it or not. <laughs> it's about him and being reliant and dependent on him. And he's really taught me to trust him more. And he's always given me a way forward. So I would, yeah. I know it's more difficult, especially if you've got small children in a small flat. Um, but even when we've been on holiday, um, me and Paul have just taken turns on going on a prayer walk or, um, and the other ones looked after the kids so it's just really I don't think I would still have been able to carry on doing what I do if I hadn't got away with Jesus yeah thanks Sue and we have to remember with this that actually God is so much more motivated on this account than we are you know, he longs for us to draw close, and he will make ways for us. Sue mentioned, you know, having to sort things out with the kids. He will show us places and times where we can get away with him. I know years and years ago, I used to walk along by Tower Bridge quite a lot and pray. And then I felt God tell me to go away to China. I was like, oh, God, I'm going to need somewhere. There, please give me somewhere. And uh, when I got to China, the school that I was teaching at was like about two minutes from a river. So I just, it was a different river, but, you know, I still had a place where I could just meet with him by myself and get away from all the craziness. And, you know, Sue talks about the countryside. The countryside doesn't really do it for me at all. I'm much happier on a wall on the Aylesbury or <laughs> up the Sky Garden or there's a car park that I used to quite like. And it was <laughs> uh, you know, I like the city. I like city views, you know. But you've got to find, we need to find a place really that is good for us and the time that is good for us and the way of doing it that is good for us. We sometimes make it a bit hard for ourselves, don't we? And actually, then we think, oh, I'm not going to do it at all. I'm not going to get away from it. It's just too hard. And sometimes it is hard, and we have to push through that hardness. So, you know, we need to think about what some of this means to us, how we are going to really prepare for Christmas, okay? Because he wants us to know who he is. You know, at the beginning, I talked about how this account in John, it does differ 
Um, there isn't a description of the shepherds and the wise men around the manger here gazing at the baby that lay there but we do have a description of the word and the fullness of all that he is and so it's it's almost like it's our turn it's our turn to like take on the role of gazers as king gazers it's our turn to gaze not like the shepherds did at a physical baby in front of them but at a risen king in front of us in all his risen glory we see him now we saw we see what they didn't get to see and we get to spend time with him and we get to worship him so i really encourage you let's set our gaze on him in this run up to christmas it's so so important if yeah so paul is going to come up now we're just going to spend time worshiping him that's the response today we're just going to look at him um, and who he is and yeah worship <laughs> 